A couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series simply called Out of Egypt, and our focus has been through the Exodus. First week, we determined that God sees, God hears, and God responds. He, he did that for the Israelite people who were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. He does that for our lives, and He's even at work today seeing, hearing, and responding to what's going on in our world. Last week, we declared that God often does His work through people. And we looked at the leader Moses, who was, who was called by God to go back to Egypt... And we determined that God will equip us to do whatever it is He calls us to do. Whether that's in one specific moment of going and talking to someone the Lord lays on our hearts or taking a step of faith. Whether that's in a shift in our lives when He's ordering our steps. Or whether that's in the grand scheme of all Jesus' followers helping represent Christ and reaching other people. God will equip us. He will empower us to do what He calls us to do. Now, if you've got a copy of God's Word today, feel free to open up to Exodus chapter 4. Uh, we're going to journey from Exodus chapter 4 and land before we're done in Exodus chapter 12. So we're going to cover a lot of ground, and I'll try to do so in a timely fashion. Uh, would you pick up it with me in Exodus 4? At this point, God had answered all of Moses' insecurities and excuses and told Moses everything that was going to happen. And God sealed everything He told Moses by pointing to who He is, who He was then and now. God sealed it by promi His promise by pointing to His character. He was active. He was the promise-keeping God. So when we pick up in Exodus chapter 4, Moses and Aaron went to Egypt. Pick up in verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Notice these three key words, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Two significant things take place in this moment. Moses and Aaron gather the people of Israel, specifically the leaders, and in this moment share what God had said. And the Israelite people believed and worshipped. They recognized God was concerned about what was going on in their lives, and they bowed down to worship, grateful for God's merciful care. We worship God because of who He is, and we also worship God and say thank you because of all that He has done in our lives. We can all sing with what we sang this morning, right? All my life, God's been faithful. He's worthy of our worship and our thanks. The second thing that happened in this moment is the fear that Moses had was alleviated. He, he was concerned, if you remember, in his conversation with God that the people of Israel wouldn't believe him. But now the Israelite people did believe Moses and believed what God had told him. We come to Exodus chapter 5, and Moses and Aaron, after meeting with the leaders of the Israelite people, went to Pharaoh. Now, this is the beginning of the battle, but the battle really wasn't between Pharaoh and Moses. The battle was really between Pharaoh and God. God, Yahweh, was the name that he gave. And the Lord told Moses and Aaron, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go. Now immediately we begin to see the heart of Pharaoh. His heart towards God. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Now remember... Pharaoh's heart towards God was hard, but 
but there's probably some reason why. First of all, they lived in a polytheistic culture, which means they honored, worshipped, even sacrificed to a number of so-called gods. Even more so than that, Pharaoh himself in their culture was viewed to be the human form of a sun god. So Pharaoh, in his arrogance and in being proud, says, wait a minute. Who is this God that I should listen to Him? There's a bunch of these gods. Who is this God that I should listen to Him? And oh, by the way, how powerful can He really be? Because this is His people, the people of Israel. And if He was really that powerful, why do I still have possession of all of them? Pharaoh had no concern for the Israelite response to the commands of God to go and worship Him. Instead, what Pharaoh viewed was that this was an entire distraction, keeping his precious commodity from working and making bricks. In fact, Pharaoh basically said, I want to keep the Israelites from having too much time on their hands to daydream about freedom. So Pharaoh instead made it harder on the Israelite slaves. They were required to do the same amount of work with less supplies being provided. They had to spend so much time going and looking for the straw to make bricks that they couldn't even have enough time to make the bricks. But Pharaoh didn't lighten the load. He didn't understand it. He said, I'm expecting you to do the same amount of work that you've been doing. Now remember, it's already been bad enough on the Israelite people. They've been in bondage. They've been in slavery. They had harsh slave drivers, the Bible tells us. But now, it's even worse the labor's harder, the expectation is still as high, but the provision is lower. And now, Moses, as you can imagine, was not popular. Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, And they said to Moses, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, you have made us a stench in the nostrils of Pharaoh. You have made us look even worse, and now they're, they're going to kill us. Moses, they're going to take us out. We can't do this. Now it's even worse than when you got here. You can imagine how Moses felt in this moment, because from the beginning of the conversation, Moses had struggled with all of this. He had insecurity. He had doubt. He had a lot of question marks. He had excuses as to why he was not to be the guy to go and be the deliverer of the people of Israel. So Moses goes back to God, went back to God, and had another conversation with him. Exodus 5, verse 22. Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? How many of you have ever, have ever really genuinely thought, why? Now, you're laughing because you know it's true. Now, I grew up in a culture, a church culture, where uh, you were always told basically never ask why. Just trust the Lord and never ask why. But in reality, God knows what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. We might as well be honest in prayer to say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't get this. And Moses says, why, God? You, you sent me here, and now look at what's happening. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Now, Moses is pretty abrupt and abrasive in his language. I'm not sure I'd want to mess too much with God. But his point in talking to God came from a heavy heart because his people had been in bondage for so long. Remember, this is his people. And he says, God, it's not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. I mean, I'm doing what you told me to do, and this is getting worse. They've been in bondage for so long, it's been hard enough, and now here I am doing what you told me to do, 
and it's getting worse. Moses lived in a tension, a tension within himself, a struggle. He knew what God said, but he knew what he saw. He knew what God had told him to do, but he struggled because at that point it was only getting worse. I know what God said, but I know what's happening, and what's happening doesn't look like the promise from God. At some point, listen to me closely, at some point in your life, you will deal with this same tension. At some point in your life, this is going to be the tension in you. I know what God said, but I don't feel like I'm seeing it yet. I know what God promised me, but I don't feel like what He said is aligning and reconciling with what I'm experiencing in my life. When it doesn't happen fast enough, when it doesn't go the way you think it should, when it gets worse before it gets better, I know what God said, but I know what's happening. You're going to have a choice in your life at some point. Will you believe the Word of God even when nothing seems to change? Will you take God at His Word? Will you believe in His character even when the circumstances do not seem to be aligning yet with what He said? When it's not happening fast enough, when it's not happening the way you think it will, will you believe the Word of God even when nothing seems to change? Now here's the truth. I'm thankful today that God is patient and merciful with us, and that our questions don't intimidate God. When we're struggling, and when we want to ask why, and when we don't get it, we don't understand it, when there's, when there's a lot of tension going on inside of us, I'm thankful that God is big enough to handle whatever questions we have. He's big enough to deal with it. It's not going to move Him off of His throne. It's not going to cause Him to shake. It's not going to intimidate Him. God was patient and merciful with Moses, and He's that way with us. Exodus chapter 6, God begins to respond to Moses' questions. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. A reminder of what He's already told Moses. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. So they knew me as provider and supplier. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. So what he's saying is, I'm about to reveal myself in a new way, and I'm going to show the people of Israel that I am the active, promise-keeping God. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, listen to this language, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." 
Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses said, go tell them. I'm not just supplier. I'm not just provider. I am the promise keeper. I am active and working in their lives and in their situation. I haven't forgotten anything I've promised. I haven't forgotten any of the covenants I've made. As I promised, I will handle Pharaoh and I will bring my people out of bondage. There will be freedom. I will redeem you. Now the people of Israel were in a hard place too because things were worse. Now that Moses was on the scene, and so God has this conversation with Moses. Moses goes back to the people of Israel, and as you can imagine, the people of Israel have slipped back into, is God ever going to change our situation? They didn't believe Moses. But God didn't give up. God didn't relent. God kept saying, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Basically, what he came to the point of telling Moses was, go and obey, believe me, Take me at my word, do what I'm telling you to do, and you will see my faithfulness. Sometimes I find in life God gives us an awareness, a foreshadowing of what is to come, and sometimes He says, take the step before you ever see the revelation happen. To give you that illustration, not to get ahead of us slightly in this series, but to give you an illustration of that, you may remember that when the Israelite people come out of Egypt, they end up having to cross the Red Sea. We know that they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. How did that go down? God told Moses to stretch out his staff, and the waters parted, and they walked across. You remember that? So do this, it will part, you'll walk across. When you get into the book of Joshua, we're way further in their journey at that point. When you get into the book of Joshua and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan to the other side into the promised land, God tells them to take a step into the water and then God will stop the waters further upstream. Sometimes God will show you and you're able to walk across on dry ground and you can see it's already dry. And sometimes God says, I want you to take a step and believe me, have faith in what I'm saying, and I will show you my faithfulness. Will we believe the Word of God even if we can't see it in the natural? Go tell them, Moses. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to take care of Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 7, Moses, as he'd done so often, continued to somewhat question God. God, are you kidding me right now? It's worse than it's been. And I've, I've got uh, fluttering lips. I'm not going to be able to convince them of this. In the middle of all that, God revealed he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he didn't believe. And as a result, God was going to perform many miraculous signs and acts of judgment. Now, this is a little bit of a question mark for some people. Because when the Bible talks about God hardening someone's heart, it seems like that God is just willy-nilly choosing who's going to accept and who's going to reject by what He does in people's hearts. But that's not quite the entirety of the story here. Pharaoh, the Bible indicates to us, was already resistant to God. Remember, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is this God that I should listen to Him? Why should I respond to Him? I mean... Clearly, he himself was viewed even as a God in human form. So judgment or the hardening of his heart was that God was going to give him over to that unbelief, going to give him over to that resistance. 
Let me simplify it for you in today's terms. People can choose to accept or reject the Word of God. Right? I think we can all agree on that. There comes a point that today, Romans 1 spells this out a lot, that when judgment is on a people, what it means is that God has tried over and over and over again to get their attention, to speak into their lives, to prove who He is. In Romans 1, it even says that creation speaks of the Creator, that no one is without excuse for not believing God. So when people are, are refusing to believe God, and in today's time, when they're refusing to fo- follow or respond to that work of the Holy Spirit, Spirit that's drawing them to God, God gets to a point. We can't define this line 100%. That's why He's God. But I can tell you God is gracious and God is patient with people. But we know there comes a point where God says, okay, you've resisted over and over and over and over and over again. Do what you want. Go be who you're wanting to be. Go do what you want to do. And the consequences that come to your life are a result of the decisions that you're making by rejecting God's truth and instead going your own way and being rebellious. It's a dangerous place. I can't answer exactly when it happens. I can't can't tell you that there's this quota that God meets to try to woo people to Him before this happens, but there comes a point where God is trying His best through Jesus, through the finished work of Christ and the cross, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the Bible today. God is trying to convince people of who He is and of the truth and of the only way of salvation. And there comes a point that if people are rejecting God and continue to ignore that voice of the Holy Spirit, continue to ignore the Bible, they're subjecting themselves to judgment and consequences. Now, people don't like to talk about that. We would rather focus on God is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of those things are true. God is love. But what makes God God is He is also righteous and just and holy. He's perfect in all of His ways. And so if if He he makes a forms a relationship with sin in a way of there not being judgment, He wouldn't be perfect and pure and good and holy. So the judgment, but I want you to catch it. I want to make sure you get this, because if you walk away from this and you misunderstand, you will really misunderstand God. God gives everyone a chance to respond. Judgment comes when people choose not to say yes to God. It's not God up in heaven with white hair and a long white beard holding a staff ready to strike people down with lightning. That's what some people think of when they think of God. It's God loving and patient and kind and wanting relationship with us so much that He gave His only Son to die on the cross for our sins, for our punishment, for our shame, so that through Him we could have relationship with God. He proved His love. But if we reject His love, we subject ourselves to judgment. So in Pharaoh's world... Pharaoh refused to believe in God. Pharaoh refused to embrace what God was telling him. This is all exactly how God said it would be. Not because God forced it to happen, there's a difference, but because God had the foreknowledge to know what was really in Pharaoh's heart and that he wouldn't receive the truth. I know we're tracking a little bit deeper in some theology in this conversation, but I just want you to understand 
God has the foreknowledge to know what's going to happen without making it happen and compromising free will. Are you with me? Okay. So at 80 years old, Moses went to Pharaoh as the Lord commanded him. Now we know that God had given Moses a couple of key miraculous signs. Aaron's staff was thrown down, became a snake. But interestingly enough, there was a group of Pharaoh's men who were involved in what we could simply say was demonic power, um, magic arts involved with the demonic. And so their staff also became a snake. But there's an important point in this narrative, and that is Aaron's snake swallowed the other ones. That's significant because it proved God Almighty was greater than all the demonic powers that are involved with the others. Okay? So then you have Aaron stretched out his staff, the Nile River, and other waters turned into blood. And if you study the original language, it wasn't just that the waters are turning a red color, it's that they turned into the actual substance of blood. This was the first of the ten plagues, and interestingly enough, again, by demonic powers, these magicians, if you will, were able to do the same thing. Now, just for a pause moment, in case you're wondering, the Bible actually says that in the latter days, there will be people who come in false power and are able to do counterfeit miracles. So, it's not that we should be critical or skeptical that God can do miracles. It's that we should test those things that come along to ensure that we are following Jesus, not anyone else. You with me? This is really... You want to know one of the greatest issues in our world today? Deception. A lot of the people that that you're watching things play out in our world, a lot of it is because many people are deceived. I don't have time to preach that message, but... We come to the end of Exodus 7, and for the next four chapters, Exodus 7, Exodus 8, 9, and 10, we're going to watch as God sends these plagues of judgment. It started with blood, then it was frogs, gnats, flies. They weren't even living in Minnesota at the right time of year. Frogs, gnats, and flies, followed by the death of livestock and boils on people and animals, followed by hail, locusts, and darkness. To prove that this was judgment on the Egyptians from God, the Israelite people were not harmed. The language of these passages indicates that these plagues took place over time. It wasn't just succession of days. It was probably over a longer period of time. Here was the underlying point and what some people may miss when they go to read about the plagues. Because just the annoyance of the plagues is enough, right? Who wants to swat gnats and get eat up with boils and live in darkness all the time? I'm always amazed, and if you're from Alaska, I'm sorry, but I'm always amazed the people that live in darkness constantly. Of course, they also live in light at one point, right? Constantly. I don't know how you sleep then either, but nonetheless. Here is the point of these plagues. Notice how God is pointing out that he's more powerful. Every plague proved that God, or Yahweh, was superior to all the other so-called gods of the Egyptians. Go back and study it for yourself. Every one of these plagues had a tie, some kind of connection to a so-called God that the Egyptian people believed in, and so God Almighty, God Yahweh, was proving, I'm greater than all these other ones you worship and you sacrifice to and you try to live by and you call on their name. I'm greater than all of them, and I'll show you. Every 
plague also went far enough to prove God's Word and God's work for the Israelite people. God told Moses, I'm going to send judgment. He sent judgment. God through Moses, through Aaron, told the people of Israel, you're going to see this happen. I'm going to show the Egyptians. And all of this is taking place. Now let's spend the last few moments on the last plague. Exodus chapter 11 and 12. This was called the plague of the firstborn. Now to this point, Scripture tells us that Pharaoh had not let the Israelite people go. Even in moments where he faced a plague and he begged for Moses to pray, I kind of chuckled as I'm reading through the narrative. There's one point where Pharaoh asks Moses to pray to take the plague away. And Moses says, you know what? I'll let you set the time of when I pray. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. How about right now? Pray to take this thing away right now. We go through all of this, and there were moments where Pharaoh said, I will let you go if you pray. I will let you go if you'll get this to stop. And then, of course, he would go back on his word. He considered these people, the Israelites, a commodity for his work. And with arrogance and pride, he refused to believe God, and he refused to respond to God's word. Remember, people can choose to accept or reject the word of God. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and because he was rejecting God and didn't believe in God, there was, they were subjecting themselves to judgment. This plague of the firstborn would be the worst one yet. Every Egyptian firstborn son was going to die. Every servant's firstborn son of the Egyptians, the cattle, their firstborn son, even Pharaoh's firstborn son in the palace. Moses warned Pharaoh... But Pharaoh didn't believe him. It's one of the sad realities we deal with in this world when we can present the truth and the truth can be right in front of people and yet they choose not to believe it. So we come to the place of what we commonly refer to as the Passover. Now you may be newer to Scripture and you're not fully understanding what the Passover is Or perhaps you've heard the term, but you're not fully understandable as to what's going on here. Or maybe you are able to explain it even as good or better even than I can. But I'm going to simplify it for you. Here are the details. God was going to judge the Egyptians because they refused to believe Him. God was not going to allow the judgment on the Israelite people if they followed these instructions. First of all... They were to take a lamb. I want you to notice the details. They were to take a lamb without defect. The lamb was to be slaughtered. Another word for slaughtered is sacrificed. The blood of the lamb was to be applied to the sides and the top of the doorposts of the home. And at that night, when judgment passed over Egypt and all the Egyptian firstborn sons were, were dying in judgment, the Israelites would be exempt because of the blood on their doorposts. After this, God instructed that the Passover celebration was supposed to happen every year, a lasting ordinance So that, number one, people would always remember what the Lord had done to set them free. It was important that they never forget it was God who did this work. Secondly, they were supposed to celebrate this every year so that they could teach their children the truth about what God had done. 
Not only were they not to forget, but they were supposed to make sure and pass it on so that every generation following would recognize who God is and what He'd done. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. Notice this language. And there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. Loud wailing in Egypt. At this, God had already told Moses exactly what was going to happen. So when this plague took place, the Egyptians got up and begged the Israelites to leave. Now, God had told them, when you get ready to leave, when I start bringing you out, they're going to be so ready for you to get out, you can ask them for anything you want, and they'll give it to you. So they basically plundered the Egyptians on the way out. All the articles, all the gold, all the silver, all, everything they wanted, they basically plundered them on the way out. And after 430 years, the Israelite people began a journey, some estimate up to 2 million people, began a journey of walking out of Egypt, walking out of bondage, free. Now, let's stick a pin there, and we'll come back to that the next time. But before we wrap up, I want to tell you that I think you've noticed there's a lot of lessons in this narrative. But I want to take a moment with the Passover and explain one more thing to you. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. I get it. When, when I talk to people who are new to reading the Bible, I typically do not tell them to start just inside the front cover. Because you read Genesis and you read Exodus, but when you get to Leviticus, there are a lot of people who start their brand new Bible reading plans every year and they pick one. I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And it starts with the first four chapters or five chapters of Genesis. And they're doing good till they get to Leviticus. They started in January, and by February, they are ready to quit. Instead, when people are newly engaging Scripture, I always encourage them to start by reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, because so much of the Old Testament is better understood when you have a picture of who Jesus is. So much of the Old Testament pointed to what would happen in the New Testament in that forward-thinking time, especially when it is in regard to the God-man named Jesus. If you don't believe me, let me show you. We talked about the Passover. Egypt was a place of bondage and slavery. Egypt was a place of being contained and being wrapped up in this bondage. The New Testament repeatedly refers to the sin problem of humanity as bondage. That's why the old hymn writers would sing a lot about coming out of Egypt and going to the promised land. Before following Jesus, there is no work, no power in us to help us live differently than how we would live when we follow Jesus. So before we follow Jesus, it's just us. There's no Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. So we're given to our own ways. We think our own ways are right. We follow the ways of the world around us. We live rebellious to the things of God. And we see it pretty early. 
I have an 18-month-old at home. When sister's all over her, she screams. When she has a toy and she wants it and the other sister wants it from her and takes it, she screams. There's probably some hitting that goes on. I'm not sure. But the point being, we see that there is a sin problem, a leaning towards our own ways and rebellious ways to God. And so the Bible describes that we are in bondage with no way out. Egypt represents bondage. But we needed to be free from sin. We needed to be brought out of bondage called sin, and we needed to be redeemed. Do you remember what God told Moses to tell the people of Israel? I will bring you out of the land. I will free you. I will redeem you. That's the language of Christ and what He did on the cross to make a way for us to come out of sin and to come out from under the curse of sin to be set free to live a life unto God and to be redeemed or rescued. Now I want you to notice, just like with Moses, God promised the way to freedom for all of us. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And when Adam and Eve made the decision to rebel against God and not listen to Him, in Genesis 3, God promised a deliverer. From Genesis 3 all the way on through the rest of the Old Testament, God promised a deliverer would come who would crush the enemy and would set us free. So what did God do? God sacrificed a lamb without defect. Some of y'all see in the parallel yet? So God sacrificed a lamb without defect. Jesus was the perfect one, referred to in Scripture as the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be set free from bondage in sin. Jesus was the perfect one who died as a criminal without doing everything in anything wrong. So when we believe in Jesus, we're set free. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And the Bible uses the illustration. Think about this. The Bible uses the illustration of the blood of Christ or the blood of the Lamb being applied to our lives so that we are cleansed. Now we are no longer marked by bondage, but we are now marked as belonging to God and not to bondage. So when all the world wraps up and there is a final judgment, because the blood of Jesus and His work has been applied to our lives, judgment will pass over us and we will be marked with God and we will be with Him for eternity. Read the Old Testament a little differently when you know who Jesus is. When we believe, we're now inside the family of God marked by the blood of Christ. So when we study the Exodus, we're not just studying the exit of the Israelite people from Egypt. We're also studying the foreshadowing or the pointing to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and providing our freedom known as salvation. What did God do? God saved the people of Israel from bondage. What has God done in our lives? He has saved us out of bondage. So I want to respond today. And our response, as we come into this season, I know we're starting to think about Thanksgiving, right? And uh, some of you are ready to eat Thanksgiving meal. Some of you are ready to eat the leftovers seven days afterwards. You're thinking about the turkey and the, I found out you guys call it stuffing. In the South, we call it cornbread dressing. 
D-R-E-S-S-I-N apostrophe, dressing. <laughs> Green bean casserole, sweet potato casserole, sweet potatoes, corn. I don't know what all you people eat, but we can all eat it together if you want to come to my place. But uh, hopefully my wife will even make an apple pie with a caramel pe- pe- uh, pecan praline on top. I can almost shout now, praise God. We're ready to put our fat pants on and eat till we can't eat no more. But in reality, Thanksgiving should be exactly what it's called. We should be a people who give thanks. Because God has brought us out of Egypt. God sent Jesus as a sacrifice for us to take our sin, to take our punishment, to take our shame, to take our pain, and it led to our freedom from sin. We're seated with Christ now. We're in the family of God, out of bondage, out of darkness, into light. If you're in the room this morning, would you stand with me? And if you're online, I trust you'll take a moment to respond with us as well. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes for a moment just so that you have a moment with God. Not distracted, not caught up in everything else. This morning, the first question that I have for you is simple. Have you accepted the truth from God? Have you responded to what God has done for you? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Have you been freed? Have you been rescued from sin? Are you living a life now that's not just your own way, a life that's not by the world and what what the world dictates to you and not rebellious to God and His Word, but are you living a life now that desires more than anything to please Jesus? Have you responded? Have you believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world and of your life? See, the bad news is that every member of humanity has to deal with the sin issue. When Adam made the decision as our representative to rebel against God, that sin issue entered into the lifeblood of humanity. It's really a shame, because when you go back and look about the relationship between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. They walked together, they talked together, it was beautiful. But sin, rebellion with God, towards God, broke that relationship from what it was supposed to be. But God loved us so much, the good news, the best news you could ever hear, that He wanted relationship with us. He always intended for us to walk in relationship. So He sent the one and only mediator, the one and only bridge between God and man, the one who could fulfill the law perfectly, the one who could live without sin and yet take the burden and pain and punishment of sin and die in our place and create a bridge so that we could have relationship with God again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever, anyone, who would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved, rescued. So the good news is God did all of that for you. Jesus willingly laid down His life for you. And then He rose again to prove He was and is who He said. The resurrection sealed the work of the cross. The work of the cross was done, but the resurrection proved it was done. The resurrection proved He was the Son and is the Son of God. 
So if you believe in him, you believe that he is Savior, you believe that he's the answer for the sin issue and the answer for relationship with God, and if you confess him as Savior and Lord of your life, as the leader of your life, you will be saved. Have you responded today? Because once again, as we've said throughout this message today, you can accept or reject the truth of God. But I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the honest reality of what you're responding to. If you respond and say, yes, you'll walk in relationship with God, and it would be a much better way of life than you could ever live on this planet on your own. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. doesn't mean everything will be perfect, but it means he'll be with you every step of the way. And it means that he will lead you and guide you and bless you and protect you. So you can accept the truth and respond to it and follow Jesus. Or you can reject the truth. You can make that decision. But I want you to be aware today that if you reject Jesus and reject that truth, you're rejecting the only way to be free from sin. The only way to be forgiven. The only way to have the promise of eternal life. Those who will not accept Jesus, those who will not believe in Him, those who will not follow Him as the Lord of their life, they will know separation from God for eternity. So I just want you to know the options today. But I want to suggest to you there's no option. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Maybe you're here today and Maybe it's like we talked earlier in this message this morning and you're struggling to believe the Word of God in your life. You know what God said. You know what God promised. You know what He's spoken into you and spoken in His Word and leading you by the Spirit. But life doesn't seem to be aligning with what God said. God said it and you know it, but you're struggling maybe to believe it or to see it. I'm going to ask our prayer partners today if they'll make their way up and find a place on either side of the platform. We may, may even need a couple of extras today for just our response time. And I want to challenge you today, whether it's you want to follow Jesus and you want to talk more about this relationship with God and have someone pray with you and walk you through responding there, or whether it's you're struggling because you believe and you've heard the Word of God in your life, but, but you don't feel like anything's changing. You don't feel like it reconciles. You believe what we're saying this morning. Yeah, yeah, the goodness of God, faithfulness, His, His surely goodness and, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, but you're struggling to believe it. You, you hear it, you sing it, you say it, you know it, but you're struggling maybe to believe it because you don't feel like things are changing. There are people today who will pray with you. They will help lead you in a relationship, into a relationship with God. They can't make that decision for you, but they'll pray with you. And then they'll also be willing to pray with you today if you're struggling to reconcile the word and promises of God with what's going on in life. And you just need encouragement and an updraft of the Spirit of God in your life to continue to hold on to what God said and hold on to who God is and not let go and not to quit believing. This is, this is really non-spiritual, but maybe it'll help you make the connection. Don't stop believing. Today, you may need the encouragement to keep believing, even though life doesn't seem to align with what God said. I'm going to pray for you, and then I challenge you to respond today.
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're teaching us through your word, oh God. We enjoy being on the journey together. Today I pray, Holy Spirit, that each and every person who doesn't have a relationship with God will recognize the truth and will respond. That every person will know God. Every person will know what it means to walk in relationship with Jesus, to follow you, to truly follow you. Not just in a one-time decision, but ongoing in our lives. I pray, oh God, that each and every person, no matter where they are in this moment, in this room, online, at work, at home, wherever they may be, God, I just pray that each and every person will respond. If they don't know you, if they don't have a relationship with you, if they haven't made the decision to follow you, they'll respond. And Lord, for those who may be struggling to hold on, they believe you spoke to them, but maybe some have been believing for days, weeks, months, or even years. And they're waiting to see it align in life. They, they believe you. They believe who you are. They, they believe what you said. But they're, they're struggling to hold on to that belief because what's happening in life doesn't seem to align. Help us, O oh Lord, to cling to the truth. To hold on to who you are. And to hold on, O oh Lord, to your promises and your word. Even when life doesn't seem to be aligning with what you've said. Help us to trust you even when we can't see in the natural. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to walk by belief in you. Help us to walk in your faithfulness and your trust and your promises, God, even when we can't see it in our sight. Now, Lord, would you bless and keep this people? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? May your countenance, your favor, ever be in their direction, and may you grant them your peace. Go with us and keep us. And in these moments of response, speak to your people and encourage them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some time to respond today. And when you need to go, God bless you.